Ash, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we've been talking about getting you on the podcast for a long time. I'm really, really excited that we're finally able to make it happen. Pleasure is mine, Pat. I'm very glad to be here. This is Pat Purdue's Customer Experience Podcast. Every episode, we take a closer look at companies who are getting customer experience right from over the phone, social, apps, or in person. There are some companies that are just really good at this. What are they doing differently to make great customer experience happen? Listen in and find out. Pat Purdue's Customer Experience Podcast starts now. Pat Purdue's Customer Experience Podcast starts now. Oh my God, that is my new Fancy Pants intro and I love it. It sounds so grown up, right? Right? Okay, I guess so much for sounding grown up. Huge shout out to Justin Dove at Core Image Studio for putting that entire intro together. I put his link in the show notes in case you have a podcast and you want to sound like a grown up too. <laughs> Speaking of grown ups, my guest today is a grown up. How's that for a segue? My guest is Ashutosh Anil. People call him Ash, and Ash is one of the most entrepreneurial, customer-centric business leaders I know. He's part of an organization called Technical Safety BC. They're the regulators of the technical safety standards for the province of British Columbia in Canada. So yeah, it's the regulatory body of the BC government, and they're super customer-centric and innovative. I know. How does that work? Turns out it works amazingly well, and that's exactly why Ash is on the show today, to talk about how even the government can be customer-centric and specifically why it pays off. Here's a little bit more about Ash. He's been an innovative leader in the customer experience, product, and service industries for almost two decades, supporting global organizations such as Best Buy, ADP Canada, Rogers Communications, 3 Telecom UK, Fido Solutions, as well as Canadian SaaS startups like Money on the Go, also known as Mogo, and Rise People. As a precise and creative strategic planner, Ash connects culture, people, and customer centricity to build diverse teams who passionately and aggressively pursue best-in-class customer experience. In his current role as business leader at Technical Safety BC, Ash religiously applies customer centricity to the cause of public participation in safety, inspiring employees to put customer experience first in an industry where the concept of outside-in value creation can sometimes get lost. We recorded our conversation over Zoom since I was in Toronto and Ash was in BC. Here's my conversation with Ash Anil from Technical Safety BC. We begin with a high-level overview of what Technical Safety BC is all about. Here's Ash. We are the provincial regulator for the province of British Columbia. We also used to be known up until recently as the uh, BC Safety Authority. Now, we are unique in terms of our mandate because we have, uh, unlike other provinces and, and other parts of North America, which which you have, you know, an electrical safety authority, a gas safety board, et cetera, et cetera, we actually regulate uh, seven different technologies that range from, you know, uh, railways uh, within the province of BC down to electrical panels and elevators and gas fitters and, and things like that. So we, we certify, license and uh, uh, provide permits for regulated equipment that's considered as a, you know, a potential risk to the public safety. So the idea of customer experience and governmental regulation 
<laughs> it's almost an oxymoron. We often don't really put the two terms together, but I know that customer centricity is very important to you personally and also important to Technical Safety BC. Can you walk us through a little bit about what customer centricity means to Technical Safety BC? Absolutely. I mean, uh, customer centricity is everything to us as an organization because, like I said, you know, we, we are a very unlike regulator. We are a not-for-profit uh, that's mandated to uphold the Safety Standards Act of British Columbia. And, you know, we're not part of the government per se. Uh, so, so, you know, there is an identity or inherent reason for us to be more influential uh, than more prescriptive or more, uh, you know, compliance driven. So from our perspective, you know, anybody that that owns, operates or installs any sort of regular equipment, regulated equipment becomes a client. Uh, in fact, the entire province is our clientele. So with that vast mandate, you know, one, uh, we have a finite number of resources to be able to administer uh, to the cause of safety. Uh, and two, if we aren't customer focused, uh, then it literally could cost in, in, in damages and, and, and loss of life. So it's, it's more of a, a reason for being, really, if you think about it. Sure. But then again, you have a monopoly. What are some other impetuses to being customer centric or really having the customer's experience top of mind? You know, walk us through maybe some specific areas where customer centricity might present itself. So, you know, Pat, uh, to understand that better, and I think that's an excellent question, to understand that better, I'm going to just just give you a little bit of a glimpse into our world. So, we work on base, based off of what we call the accident prevention model. Part of the accident prevention model is really assessing, enforcing, researching, and educating. So, all four of those become sort of the core values that are part of that uh, accident prevention model. And, and what that basically means is, you know, just doing the assessment and enforcement is no longer enough. Uh, we also need to keep focus on researching and educating. Those are, those are equally, if not more important in terms of, of driving the cause of safety. So one approach of it is, is, and which is what the traditional regulator would take, is, is that of compliance, right? But we know from having a, a mandate, and I just talked about this earlier as well, you know, we have a vast mandate and, and a lot of technologies to cover literally across a province that has both mountains and beaches all at the same time. So, you know, you can imagine just from a geographical administration down to the actual buy-in of people and businesses and, and schools and municipalities and all of that uh, could, could take a lot of effort, right? And mm -hmm. we have a finite workforce. So from that compliance state of mind, what we want to do is to move to a commitment frame of mind. So compliance to commitment is basically what we are trying to drive uh, within the citizenry of British Columbia. How we're doing that is through, you know, one, we focus on a lot of, you know, confidence building exercises. So we have a lot of, you know, facing public facing studies and things like that, that go out. Uh, we also focus on a lot of the risk that is involved with operating and, and you know, installing and, and decommissioning and all of that when it comes to regulated equipment. And, and all of this, you know, we, we can only do if we are focusing on all four, not just two of the, you know, the, the accident prevention model pillars. And that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like rather than just some simply enforcement with a blunt stick, it's really about educating and having people seeing the logic and the common sense behind the regulations. Therefore, they're more likely to be in compliance because they know why the regulations are there just to keep them safe. Absolutely. So you've been in the, you know, you've had a vast, you've had a really, really strong experience in customer experience. And we both met 
for our listeners uh, benefit, you and I met when you were at Mogo during your Mogo days. So share with me maybe the difference for those who are listening who are in the still in the private sector and you're in the public sector, what might be a key difference um, that you've noticed in making that leap? A uh, very, very insightful question. I mean, actually, I'm reflecting on it as we speak. But what I can broadly tell you is essentially the mechanism of an organization remains the same. It's mm-hmm. just I guess it's it's the the profoundness of the impact because you know with Mogo we were we were actually focusing on on getting people debt free and getting them back on track into their financial lives. Here you literally are are making a difference to an entire province worth of people. So obviously the the change that you want to implement and the change that you want the customer centricity that you want to drive is slow in the making, sure. but is way more profound. Yeah, because you are absolutely impacting lives and safety and and the smooth functioning of the province of British Columbia. That's not a that's not a small deal. Yeah, it's even transcendent, I would say, right? I mean, how many people can say they literally help save lives? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What does that look like, you know, inside the corridors of Technical Safety BC? What does customer centricity look like perhaps in conversations that people are going to have? How would I know if I was going to walk into Technical Safety BC that this is a customer-centric organization? You know, that's a great question. And, and I think that, that reflecting customer centricity is, is not something that you can only see in the boardroom. You, you literally have to experience the very fabric of an organization, right? So, I mean, right at the point where you walk into one of our regional offices or into our, our corporate office and, and down to, you know, whether you're meeting a safety manager or, or, or somebody that's, that's a safety officer all the way down to a client experience person, it should really be the same message resonating. And I think, uh, we're working on it, but I think for the large part, I mean, uh, right from our name change, which was from BC Safety Authority to Technical Safety BC, you know, we we want to show our commitment to the public. And I think we have, for the larger part, shown that through all of our simplification, whether it's a, you know, a 32-page form that's now literally a web form that can be filled out in a matter of minutes. I bet people love that. Have you had comments about how much they appreciate that new process that you've just talked about? You know what, Pat? I, I don't mean to brag, but I think our, our NPS score, which is over 50 uh, from where I stand in the quarter this year, can actually be the testament to to how clients feel about us, right? So this is not just something that the folks at Technical Safety BC you know, would like to do. You're closely measuring this. This is something that Technical Safety BC is taking really seriously. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, everything that we do in terms of sort of advancing the cause of client experience, we're, we've got a basic methodology of find, choose, do, and measure right? So you find the right opportunity that create not erode value. You choose the most critical initiatives that can actually drive most value out of the least amount of effort. You then do uh, the execution of those projects and and initiatives. And then you measure the final step, the, the closing step of it and the continuous improvement step of it is the measure. So without measurement, there is no progress, right? Love it. You mentioned this specific form that you really, really condensed, made it much more user-friendly. Are there any other initiatives that might come to mind, either that you've accomplished already or that you see on the horizon as making a difference at Technical Safety BC? Oh, most definitely, Pat. I mean, I, you know, Catherine, our CEO, has, has made our mandate very clear. You know, we want to use technology to leverage uh, automation, digitalization, as well as, you know, expansion of channels to be able to drive that true customer centricity. Like it, it shouldn't be a customer having to make a choice between driving down to an office that's four hours away or just pulling out their smartphone and, and logging onto their account and being able to do the same thing 
without moving physically anywhere. I mean, that, that is, is our drive and that's the mission. So our, our online account, for example, uh, has most of the functionality. What we're trying to do is literally these, these next two years, we're going to be uh, focusing hard on agnostic of technology, getting functions like, you know, for example, registration or operation or maintenance. These are standard functions. They shouldn't have to differ by technology, right? So that's kind of the mandate and the, the, the effort that, that is aligning towards. And what that does help us do is to drive simplicity, right? So a client that wants to, for example, renovate their home is, is using the registration function as well as a business that is now installing a new elevator is using a registration function. Now, the, the dream is that the process should pretty much look the same to both of them and should be as simple as it is for the homeowner as it is for the business owner. And intuitive because the business owner might do it frequently because if that's their business, but the homeowner might do it once or twice or three times ever. You said it. That's amazing. And you mentioned that, you know, the four hour drive, this is British Columbia. It's a big province. A four hour drive doesn't sound like it's out of the question for somebody to have to go down to a government office and fill out a form. I can only imagine the glee of being able to pull something up on their tablet or their smartphone or on their computer and accomplish online what they might have had to drive four hours to do. Absolutely, Pat. But I do want to make a footnote to this, and that is that at the same time as we are driving digitalization, what we are not forgetting is that there is a section of society that is not as digital focused, yes, right? So they yes. still rely on paper. They still rely on, you know, being able to fill out forms and signing them and actually mailing them in. So it's it's about being as accessible to your clientele as they need you to be. So that's that's sort of the, the underlying purpose, right? Because often when we hear about digitalization, we hear about, oh, you know, we're going to automate all of it. And then we're going to forget about it because people that haven't learned how to interact with technology. And, and the, the fact of the matter is some of our, you know, our tradespeople, some of our people that are that are in the province are not as tech savvy, you know, they're living yes. off the grid. So why should we make it difficult for them? So this is sort of the tension of a regulator that wants to be innovative, right? So, <laughs> Well, you know, but you've raised a really, really important point. Often when we talk about customer experience and user experience and customer centricity, we rely on technology to solve some of the problems of customer centricity, you know, we'll say, okay, well, that's just going to run itself. So we're not going to support it with human beings in a contact center or some other way for our customers to work with us. And you've got a really interesting challenge where a large number of your constituents, you know, wouldn't benefit from technological advancements, but still there needs to be some sort of advancement. I think that's a really neat conundrum. Yeah, it is. And, and as a matter of fact, you know, some of our front office uh, CSRs that are in these regional offices are actually walking through clients, you know, the first time helping them sign up to their account so that the next time it becomes easier and then easier. So sometimes we're, we're even acting as a digital bridge for our clients, right? So, I mean, I think that's a very neat thing. <laughs> that's a really neat thing. Is that is that relatively new? What was the genesis of that? Well, you know, it's it's accessibility, right? I mean, it boils down to if we want to be an influencer and an educator or or knowledge based company, what we need to do is to take our clientele along with us for that ride, right? So it was it was born out of necessity because otherwise people would choose not to participate, and and we all know the consequences of that, right? And the consequences could be life altering for somebody who's not being as safe as they otherwise would want to be. Absolutely. Plus, think about the data loss, right? I mean, they, the sheer amount of aggregation that we do in terms of the data based on the risks that happen in the province would be incomplete. 
without as many as possible, uh, and in fact, all citizens participating into it, right? So from incident reporting to down to registration of every unique equipment that poses potentially a hazard. You know, we need the participation from the public. We can't do it alone. So if somebody's listening to this, one of our audience members who's currently in the private sector, customer experience is weighing a decision about moving to the public sector, still wants to be customer centric, uh, maybe is working for, for a government like the government of BC that is very, very customer centric. What advice might you have for them, Ash? You know what I would say, Pat, is, is you know, just, just tighten that belt up because there's a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. When, when I walked into this organization and, 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 you know, I have to give kudos to my executive team because they like I'm, I'm the most unlikely candidate for an organization like us. Right. In fact, I would have if you asked me five years ago, if I would ever work for the public sector, I would be laughing. Right. Well, you're super super entrepreneurial. We kind of had this conversation right over dinner when you were in Toronto, where it's like, wow, Ash, you're one of the most entrepreneurial customer centric leaders I've ever met. And you're working in the public sector. So, you know, how do you balance those two forces? Absolutely. And, you know, the, the answer, short answer to that, Pat, is one, it's a transcendent cause. So, I, I mean, I'm a, I've always been a, a dreamer and a, and a cause focused person, right? So I enjoy the fact that I can literally make a difference to the entire province where I live. And, and you know, I can contribute in my own little way to the society that I, I'm indebted to for the quality of life that I'm getting for my, you know, the education of my child for, you know, all of those, those nice things that I have. And the other part of it is there is so much to do in that space, you know? So we've like, since the almost two years now that I've been in the organization, we've been able to do amazing things. You know, we were able to set up a, a service quality measurement program. We were able to set up a continuous improvement uh, for the contact center space as well as for our regional offices. So, you know, sort of combining the channels. We now have a, a BI and insights piece within client experience. We are able to and working towards democratizing all of our voice of client data. So, you know, these are these are initiatives that are that are sort of taken for granted in the private sector, but in the sure. public sector, they're gold. Right. I mean, they, yes, we need to do more of this. And and this industry hasn't had disruption in such a long time. I mean, I, I was once cracking a joke to our CEO, Catherine, and she she agreed. It's about the hashtag unregulate the regulators. Right. I mean, because sure we need to be different. You you have to look at your clientele that's now served by the, the likes of Amazon and Uber. And these are companies that are that are disrupting the space, that are disrupting the very way in which we communicate or exchange information. So one of the big things for for example, in the employee space. And this is where I say, you know, we are such an unlike regulator that you'd be, when you come down, Pat, I'll, I'll show you, <laughs> we even have a virtual or telepresence robot in our office who allows for any employee that's working offsite to be able to literally meet people. That's so cool. Right? Yeah, that is so cool. I'm flipping out right here. That's so neat. Does the robot have a name? Yeah, he's called Milo. M-Y-L-O. Milo. So if somebody's working remotely, they'll dial into the robot and the robot will wheel his, her way to the meeting and sit in front of the table and Milo will be there. And, and I guess in the virtual presence of the employee will be there as well. Is that how it works? You got it. It's short of wearing our favorite shirts. You know, it can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you're very innovative. How does that feel when you go into a jurisdiction that maybe hasn't quite made that leap yet. You know what, we're, and, and Pat, that's a great point. You know, I've seen Catherine go when she goes and, and talks to other organizations like the TSSA out in Ontario, or I met with Jennifer Vanderwacht, uh, I think at a conference in Toronto, 
last year and she taught me so much about channel management. I mean, did you know that Ontario government has about 600 channels that they service all through different departments of the government? I can't even fathom that level of complexity. Yeah, we're not just teaching. We are also learning from these these innovative people around us. I mean, even Department of Defense. So I, I remember Gartner's uh, uh, the IT Expo last year, I met with uh, with one of the directors there at the Department of Defense, and they're talking about employee wellness at a whole different level. Because when you have a pilot who's flying like a six million dollars jet, you know you want them to be in in peak shape. So how do you take care of your employees there? And something that I picked up that I took back to our organization and sort of talked to our health and safety manager about it. You know, so these are these are very very excellent opportunities of us sharing our reality, but also learning from the realities of others. You mentioned some, maybe some informal opportunities to exchange innovations and learnings. Are there any formal touch points or meetings or opportunities for you to connect with your counterparts in other parts of Canada or even the United States or, or wherever to say, what are you doing differently that you can import into Technical Safety BC? You know, there's there's a lot of formal forums. And this is where I, when I meet with peers, uh, I think the largest part of it and the most beneficial part of this is, is at conferences, right? So when I'm speaking at the CX Week Canada, I am exposed to so many private and public sector companies. So, you know, it's it's about finding those opportunities. You got to go where your client goes. And, and client is also a partner, right? So partners like other organizations that are regulatory space or not, or government functionaries, we we actively solicit them. And I mean, right from our uh, from Clint and and Derek, who are our uh, you know our, our leadership in terms of policy and regulatory space, and down to our CEO Catherine, to you know every single business leader that I've seen within our organization, they're all attempting to sort of sort of spread the spread the joy of sharing with with different government bodies or private organizations even like i last december i spoke to the forestry council of bc which was a completely niche niche area for us to influence right so i mean we're always on the lookout for for opportunities like these but to to tell you you know formally there are a lot of forums within each technology uh government provides avenues sometimes at conferences and symposiums so that's also a great opportunity. Uh, but really, it's about what do you want and, and how can you influence or how far you'll go to influence that. That's what uh, matters. You got it. You got it. And you've mentioned your CEO, Catherine. It sounds to me that her vision has been significantly influential in the level of customer centricity that is happening at Technical Safety BC. Would you suggest that Technical Safety BC is unique because there's a CEO that really, really gets the importance of being customer-centric? You know what? Absolutely, Pat. I mean, think about this again, and I keep going back to my example, right? I mean, I'm, I'm an outlier to this type of an organization. Yes. Yep. I wouldn't yep. have been here if it wasn't for Catherine for, you know, Brian, who was our, who was our CFO at the time. He's, he's left us for another organization, but you know, we're, we're all the way that, that Catherine operates is she's, she's very democratic in her approach and she's very supportive of new ideas and innovation. So, you know, taking a risk in a public sector company is, is something that I used to not believe was possible. The fact that it has been enabled to such an extent that today I can talk to a vendor, I can go to my privacy analyst and have a literally an assessment completed. And after that, choose to sign up with the vendor and run a test pilot in a matter of less than three months is... That's huge. That's private sector speed. And are your vendors surprised? Like, is there a, well, wait a minute, you're the government, but you're able to move so quickly 
and with a thought of, hey, you know, let's go ahead and try something new. That's a really unique mindset. And you know what, Pat, like that's been one of my biggest USPs. So when I go to vendors and, you know, I, I tell them about what we do, how innovative we are and that we're applying everything from IoT to machine learning to, you know, algorithmic uh, outputs and things like that, you know, they're, they're obviously hooked. But when they hear about the speed of execution within our organization, I mean, it's really shocking. And people want to come work for us and want us to be the white paper for them because, you know, one, it's the size and scope of the, the sheer organization. And two, it's the ability to sort of innovate within that space, which is, it's not as common. The idea of innovating within that space, it's a space that's not used to innovation. In my last episode with Bruce Simpson, we talked about the difference between innovation and adoption and how if there's constant, constant innovation, then there might be something known as innovation fatigue. And people are just like, "Ugh, I'm just tired of all this development. How do you handle that? Mm, that's a really good question, Pat. We have actually pipelines secured within our project delivery team. They have like a, a 10 or 20% buffer baked into their production capacity to entertain innovation projects. And that, that sort of becomes our pipeline as an organization to pitch. So every organization, every part of the organization is allowed to sort of participate in this very democratic process. There's a steering committee and everything. Uh, and, and you basically pitch your ideas. Uh, you pitch the merits of them, you pitch the value to your clientele and then to the organization. And based off of that, uh, you know, that the ideas are scored in a, in a really simple setting of a meeting by the director team. And, and literally in a matter of a meeting, you get your ideas supported and to the point of execution. So the, the condition to that is that it has to be a build up to something bigger. And two, it has to make make a value-based contribution, right, to the, the clientele, to the province of British Columbia. So as long as those two criteria are met and you've, you've sort of explained your idea well enough, you can literally have that idea supported into production. So, How cool is that? Yeah, I mean, talk about an agile organization, right? I mean, our IT bandwidth is secured, everything else is secured, and this is a quick hit, low-hanging fruit type type innovation. So to your point, you know, innovation can be in, in different places. Innovation can also be improvement. Improvement can can also yes. lead to sort of defined benefits. And and that's sort of the innovation that we want to want to tailor our organization to because, you know, if we think about changing the grand scheme of things, it has to happen one piece at a time. And that's what we really focus on in our agile approach. And what's the level of uptake of participation in those innovation meetings? Is there a lot of participation or is it just, are people like, and I kind of know the answer because I can hear from your enthusiasm and the way you described it, is the level of enthusiasm super high or is there a certain amount of, I guess, cynicism of, ah, oh, it'll never be implemented, so I'm not even going to bother. Walk me through a little bit of the, of the culture around that. Ah, so, so Pat, I think you've, you've given me enough, enough fodder to even share a little bit of a trade secret, which I will go ahead okay. and share. It is, <laughs> it is the beauty of wireframing a conversation. So essentially, when we when we go into meetings like these, I mean, and this is what I, I teach my, my colleagues and my team members as well, is if you have wireframed that idea well enough, so there is, there is a lot of uptake, there is a lot of people that innovative, but what really defines that success level of that idea is the pre-meetings, not the meeting itself, right? So it's the yes socialization of your idea and sharing the value of it. So, you know, you may have thought about something that that impacts your department, but have you really thought about it from other people's lenses? Have you really seen what value it'll bring to the others? 
So start at the client. So outside in, right? Start at the client, go deeper to other stakeholders, then go to yourself and then define that value. As long as you've defined the value that way, it, that idea is a guaranteed success, right? So that's, that's part of the, the uptake of it. But I think the fact that we have had 20 ideas pitched and we've already, like our, our CI team is amazing and they've, they've actually executed 11 out of those ideas already. Wow. So, so you know, that, that success and that sharing of success. So we have big monitors in our world cafe that, that basically display all of the successes that we've had. It's about sharing the successes or failures thereof, right? So, I mean, we've, we've been given permission by our exec to fail, but fail fast. And there's no failure if there's learning as a result of that failure. Exactly. So it's literally a two-week sprint, right? So in a two-week sprint, whatever you've built, either you continue or you abandon. But whatever you do, there has to be <laughs> learning attached to it. So I think that's the big driving force behind the level of excitement that I'm sharing with you and the level of excitement that the organization has and the level of participation that we have in it. It sounds really cool. You know, there's a lot that is happening, Pat. And I think we've we've seen a lot of things, but to be to be quoting the the Hong Kong delegation that came by of their regulatory body, uh, you know they made frantic notes in our presentations, whether it was from our yep. product leadership or it was our operations team and how we administer to registered regulated equipment, all the way down to you know our our product and strategy team and how they work towards creating value based products. I mean, it, there is a lot that we are doing. So I mean, I, I don't Clearly. need to brag, but I do want to brag. Brag. <laughs> brag. That's what this is for. And so, you know, the goal is that there are folks listening that are saying, hey, you know, we could do some of that in our organization as well. Oh, most definitely, Pat. And, and you know, I, I, again, I'm thankful to you for this forum as well. And, and anybody that is trying to do good work, I mean, we are always open towards sharing. In fact, one of our biggest mandate is to share everything that we have and, and, and advance the cause of safety. So, you know, anytime there are any questions, I'm, I'm more than happy and available to assist. Ash Anil, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a great conversation. So hopefully we'll get you on in about maybe six or eight months from now and we can hear what further innovations Technical Safety BC has created in that time. Absolutely, Pat. And likewise, you know, thank you for spending the time. I, I really enjoy our conversations. Well, Ash, enjoy British Columbia being in Toronto. I am forever envious of my fellow Canadians in British Columbia because you've got everything. It's just not fair. You've got <laughs> mountains, you've got the ocean. It's an open invitation, Pat, whenever you're here next. Oh, you're too kind. Well, thanks again, Ash, and uh, have a wonderful day today. You too. Cheers. And again, thank you to my guest, Ash Anil from Technical Safety BC. Who would have thought that a government agency would be so innovative? What was your take from the conversation? What really stayed with me was the idea that not all of their constituents themselves are at the technology level where they could take advantage of the customer experience developments that Technical Safety BC is bringing on board. So how do they fix that? Maybe something as simple as helping a client set up an email address, which leads us to our question. What unrelated barriers are preventing your customers from fully benefiting from your company's customer experience improvements? And what can you do to remove those barriers? Feels like an important question. I'm Pat Perdue, and this has been Pat Perdue's Customer Experience Podcast. Thanks for listening.